Testing, one, two, three, one, two, three, testing. I'm Ben McAdams, and I represent Utah's 4th Congressional District. Before I was elected last November, I was the mayor of Salt Lake County. It's my belief that Washington might work better if we thought about governing the country the way mayors approach leading their communities. In this podcast, I'm hoping to show you what being a member of Congress is really like, and whether it's possible to run this country the way we run our local governments. Welcome to Washington. Today I'm talking with Aves Ahmed, who I've known for the last couple of years. Aves has been active in the Utah Muslim Civic League, and uh, I got to know him in that sense when I was the mayor of Salt Lake County, and we have a, a strong and vibrant Muslim community here in Utah, um, a lot of them in Salt Lake County, but really living uh, throughout the state. And I feel like Aves, I, I kind of felt like I connected with you early on. We grew up in the same area. I'm in Davis County. You're in Davis County. We went to high schools that are neighboring high schools. We were a little bit high school rivals. You went to Davis High. I went to Viewmont High. And then we both went to the University of Utah, although I think I'm a few years older than you. Yeah, yeah, yeah a couple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I just felt a, a connection with you. I felt like we had a you know a lot of background that was similar. And then you're Muslim and I'm Christian. And uh you were helping me to understand Muslim culture, Muslim religion a little bit. And, and I instantly, I think maybe because I felt a connection with you, I felt like I also, uh, it was a eyes which, through which I was able to see the Muslim community and see actually a lot that we had, had in common. So maybe tell me a little bit your backstory, how you came to Utah and why you came to Utah. So uh, my father was a physics professor in Nigeria. So he was actually also the son of a teacher. And he got a scholarship. And at that time in the 70s, Nigeria had discovered uh, oil. So the Naira was very strong. And so they tried to import a lot of the brain capital from different parts of the world to help educate their uh, their populace. And so my dad went there with his uh, best friend at the time in the 70s and did uh, did really well. And, and so I was, I was born there and we lived uh, until about I was two years old. So my dad's uh, dream was to go back and retire in uh, Pakistan. So he went back, invested a lot of his money that he had made in in uh, Nigeria, and he lost a lot of it due to corruption and uh, just due to you know bad infrastructure. And 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 so in when he was in Nigeria, he had had a passport and he'd been able to travel all around the world. And so he had a diplomatic passport. So he had thought that. The U.S. was a place that actually resonated more with his with his core values and his vision as a human being. So he had a family member in L.A., and so we moved there when I was about uh, five years old. And uh, shortly after, we he wasn't uh, he had visited Utah, and he had really liked that culture better than California. Um, he really liked and identified with the the, the LDS and uh, the culture and the values here, and so that's why he actually picked uh, good old Kaysville, Kaysville, Utah, and kind of my my uh, my youth in that sense was kind of interesting. I didn't notice it as much then, but now as I look back at it, um, at Davis High School, I was one of maybe eleven minorities in my graduating class of a thousand. And I think maybe one of uh, two Muslims, and the other one was like my dad's best friend's yeah. dad <laughs> had came there. And so it was very interesting because in that bubble, um, folks thought that uh, the LDS church was maybe a, min- a majority uh, in the whole world, right? So they would always ask, like, hey, what is this, um, 
you know, what is this religion that you're kind of uh, a part of? And, uh, you know, just acting like it's just some weird Eastern... Obscure English, little obscure religion. Obscure little, that, yeah. exactly. And, and so, you know, so that actually made me very interested in, in, uh, in religion and comparative religion because I was... It's, it's very hard to see in us versus them when you start becoming friends with people. And like you mentioned, you kind of, um, you know, LDS or Christian or Hindu is not that. It's Ben or Avais or Ryan or, or, or whoever it may yeah. be. And so we moved to Utah when I was five. And uh, as you mentioned, I went to, I'm a, I'm a Davis Dart. And then I went to the University of Utah. And um, since then, I mean, I've been an uh, online entrepreneur and, uh, you know, been involved in, in different business ventures. But um, the hi- so the history of our community. Oh. No, go ahead. Just say, don't tap okay. the table. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the history of our, our community is that in the 80s, we had a lot of economic migrants, like my parents and stuff, a lot of educated people, some not, but people coming here, at their, you know, at their own will for prosperity. A lot of professors and, and, uh, and those sort of folks. And then what happened is from about 98, 99 to about 2010, there was a lot of refugees that came. And we had a lot of people from the Somali community, from the Bosnian community, from the Iraqi community, from the Afghani community. And so you had this huge influx of people but they also, you know, needed a lot of resources. So you kind of had this uh, disproportionate kind of like, you know, uh, influx coming in. And that's changed since maybe 2011, 2012 with this um, Silicon Slopes. But the, but the phenomenon that that created was that a lot of people created d- different mosques. And the reason for the creating those different mosques was Let's say, for example, someone just came and, and English wasn't their first language. They would create a small little mosque so that they could have be worship and be taught kind of and, and spoken to in their same language. So that was something that was kind of hard for us to kind of control and, and, and uh, you know, coordinate everybody. And a very interesting thing about the Muslim faith is there's over, like just in our mosque, in, in uh, the main mosque, um, in Khadija Islamic Center, there's over 120 nationalities that go and pray there on Friday. I mean, Ben has been there several times. And so it's a very, very diverse uh, population with a lot of different, you know, uh, nuances and cultural understanding. So um, with the and, and now we have about 60,000 people. And the phenomenon that kind that that kind of brought is we had we had so many people from different organized different countries in these different centers, so we kind of wanted a way outside of the religious arena to kind of unify those people and uh, um, you know get them involved uh, civically and in, in other you know in other capacities, and that's kind of how the Utah Muslim Civic League came about. I felt like it was the job of a mayor to get to know my community and to be there and to be familiar with and, and to be a face that people are familiar with seeing around. So you guys probably wanted me to better understand you. I wanted to better understand your community because I felt that was my job. So you invited me to, I think the first time what you invited me to uh, uh, come to your worship services on Friday afternoon. And beforehand there was a lunch and uh, a little bit of a, you know, Islam 101, kind of what we believe in that. Yeah. And, and I'll say, I think the, 
maybe the way that you worship is different than the way that I worship. But I immediately saw some pretty strong parallels of a belief in God and a belief in family. And, you know, I have four kids and I want to raise my kids to be good people and to cherish some of the things that I cherish. And I saw that you you and the Muslim community was fighting for the same thing, to just, you know, community and sense of belonging and sense of giving back. But then also I was impressed that it not only were you engaged with internally with your own community, because as you said, there was there's a, a pretty broad array of, of individuals in the Muslim community from pretty successful, well, highly educated people who are coming here because of jobs and, and good paying jobs and others who are coming here because they're fleeing war and famine and they come with nothing, right? And you guys rally around each other. Uh, I think to help to create opportunities for each other. But I also love how you engage with our community. Um, I've worked side by side with uh, members of the Muslim community working to help the homeless or, you know, a food drive for people in poverty. Or, um, you know, when I was working on, <clears throat> on homeless shelter, one of the sites that I was considering was right by the mosque. And people came out and they wanted to under, you know, the, the community was engaged in a constructive way, um, wanting to understand what this proposal meant, um, what it would mean for the community, uh, asking some really in, informative qu questions. And if it, if that site was chosen, you know, what could they do to support it? And um, so I think over the last few years, I've, I feel like I've become more familiar with the, the Muslim community and have been really impressed at how I think we have so much in common. So um, when I woke up late last week on Friday morning and read about the news in New Zealand about the shooting and that somebody had, you know, this manifesto, and um, this fear of a Muslim community in New Zealand and shooting and 50 people were killed. And just my heart went out to our Muslim community here in Utah. And, you know, I hope that nothing like that would ever happen. I think part of it, you guys have done a great job of, in, of helping members of our community understand you and feel this affinity with you. Now, I, I think, you know, mayors have more of an opportunity than that than, than just regular people maybe don't visit a mosque, maybe have never been to, I think I would guess most people have never been to a mosque, um, just like most Catholics haven't been to the Mormon temple, right? Um, but I felt, you know, even though it was a world away, New Zealand's a world away, my heart went out to the Muslim, my Muslim friends here in Utah of, of what that might do to the psyche of a community to feel that that sense of vulnerability and I guess I want to know how that, how you, that impacted maybe you, your loved ones, your neighbors. Um, did it have an impact? Yeah, it had a big impact. And uh, when I heard when I heard about this, right? Obviously, you know, you have uh, you have more of a, um, you know, it, it, it hits very close to home if it was in in your exact faith center. But the hard thing that it was for me. Me personally, and I usually don't post on social media about these things, but I felt that, that I needed to write something. And it really was that we feel the same pain, although we don't post about it. But, like, you know, the, when the Jewish attack happened, we were there, we were with that community, and we feel the same sort of pain. So my feeling was how do we communicate that, yes, this is something that happened to our community, and, yes, we as leaders – you know, we're responsible for the rhetoric that we put out there. We're responsible, you know, for these different things. But at the same time, this is a this is a like a problem that's happening across many 
fates in many different instances. And we wanted to put out there that look like we're part of the human family first, right? Like most people don't know. I mean, uh, even though that we're all humans, and even the Muslim faith is an Abrahamic faith, right? So even yeah. in faith, we're, we're brothers, right? We, you know, we take our lineage back from Ishmael while, you know, Christian lineage is back from um, Isaac, right? So we have many different points of relationship, right? So that day, it wasn't like, hey, this just happened to the Muslims. It was the same pain that we constantly feel. So I didn't want to, you know, express myself like that, that because that wasn't the, the case. The other thing that was amazing was I had, you know, uh, Ben reached out and text messaged me. Sim, uh, Sim Gill called and texted. And so many other people did the same. And, uh, you know, we had three or four folks from the FBI, Department of Public Safety, come, right, to our, our services. Uh, Chief, uh, P Chief of Police Mike Brown, he gave uh, security that day, and he's, he's been very generous before and after. So the thing that— The governor's office even had yeah, somebody there. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so the thing that kind of it, it kind of ha showed, right, is we've been working on these relationships for a long time. Right. And and that's one thing that we've kind of stressed to our community is look like, you know, uh, and we've stressed it and it wouldn't have worked if folks like Ben and stuff like that didn't show up. Right. Like we stressed that that look like these these guys are not just here when they're asking for a vote. These guys actually love and care about our community. And then when these times come and they see that, that helps them build trust in the system. Right. And that's a big problem that that uh, we can talk about that we've been trying to address. Right. Many of those folks, the criticism even from the outside is that they don't feel like this is their home. They feel like the countries that they're from are their home. And even here, when you talk to some of them, they don't feel like, you know, they're really at home. But when incidents like that happen, when our partners, our friends, they show up, then they feel that this is their home. And then they double down on taking ownership uh, of this country, which is why, you know, uh, I think our mission is, is uh, very clear and very important, is we, f we find that they have two misgivings. And one of them, or, you know, you could say two issues that they have in, in order to fully buy in on uh, civic engagement. One of them is that they feel that their vote doesn't count. And the second is that they feel that their vote doesn't matter. So in terms of vote, their vote not counting, it's that they actually physically think that from the communities that they've been a part of, that there's going to be some voter or election fraud and someone's not going to count their vote. Okay. Second, that may have happened in their home country. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And then second, they feel like their vote doesn't matter. So they think, okay, maybe we are from Somalia or Pakistan or one of the other, you know, uh, under 20 countries. And they feel like, well, look, we, we're the minority here. Right. And so if we, you know, all get bad together and vote, our numbers really aren't going to make sense. So, you know, we insisted to them in the last election that, hey, in a local election, few thousand votes really do matter. Right. And then so they bought in and then, you know, um, many races like yours came down to, you know, a certain amount of votes and they really felt that their their vote mattered. And then, uh, you know, you, you came and thanked the congregation after, which was very meaningful for them. So there's this, this sense of trust that's, you know, that's been built. 
and 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 like you said, that's like a multi-year process, and people only see the fruits of that that labor in 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 incidences like this. Mm-hmm. Can you describe to me maybe some of the emotions that went through your mind or, or others in the community, fears, reaction from the congregation, in the aftermath of New Zealand? Was this what was that like? So I mean. Prayer for everybody is a very sacred time and a very vulnerable time, right? You, you're going there, and that's probably the place where you want to feel the safest. And um, so, you know, people in our community, they, you know, that definitely gave them room for pause and room for, you know, thought, like, are we really safe? Are we welcome here? And then the the very interesting nuance that this actual particular tragedy brought out was the fact that it was... Um, Facebook live, like live streamed, yeah. right? And so, you know, most people watched that, right? So everybody had those images in in uh, their brain in horror. And I, I mean, I, I never, I couldn't bring myself to watch it, but I talked to somebody as as we were leaving the mosque who said that he was watching it in bed and his son came up and was talking to him and asked what he was looking at. And I just can't imagine, you know, seeing that horror and wanting to protect your child from that horror, you know, and seeing it but yeah but then wondering could something like that happen to me yeah and and that's a legitimate thing that that folks in our community you know definitely thought of and it's still actually uh on our mind um because as that happens or as folks don't pay the like pay the proper condemnation or give it the proper rebuking that it needs other people get inspired by that Mm -hmm. right and that's definitely been you know uh that issue that we've had in the past is something like that happens and we will get some letters or we'll have some suspicious people around. And so definitely, and, and, and my situation with the video was on one hand, I was like, I don't want to watch this at all. And on the other hand, I'm like, you know, I need to feel the pain and, and, and the carnage so that the work that we're doing, it makes me more motivated to do that. Because obviously we have a lot of other things going on in our life, professionally, personally. Yeah. So that emotional you know, identification kind of actually helps me say, okay, look, like I'm really angry about this. You know, look, look at, you know, what happened. I mean, um, and it would literally look like a, it was like a video game. And, uh, you know, now there's, you know, stories coming out about the folks. And when this gentleman, this guy was walking into the mosque, somebody came up to him and said, you know, hello, brother, because he was trying to like identify himself as a human being so that this wouldn't happen. Yeah. Right. And so definitely our, our community is, you know, it's heartbroken. Um, it, it, there is that, like you said, there is that feeling of like, hey, we're very vulnerable. Is this, are, is this kind of thing going to happen to us? And is this kind of thing going to escalate into something, you know, far, far worse? But again, like with the, you know, the response that we've had, the partnerships that we've had, people do, especially in Utah, they do have this trust that, you know what, like we're part of this family and and everybody's watching out for us. So I, I mean, I, I'll admit that I think our relationship started because I think that's what mayors. I felt like that's what mayors are supposed to do. Mayors go to <laughs> mosques and synagogues yeah. and churches, and that's what a mayor does. And it hit me on Friday morning that I was reaching out to my friend out of concern and a community that I care about because I could empathize with maybe how they were feeling, and I and it made me sick, and it made me feel for them and want to, to show comfort and support to them. But we're in a day and age where it's maligned, where there's a lot of rhetoric against uh, our Muslims, brothers and sisters here, American citizens, you know, uh, does does 
rhetoric matter? And what is it what is it like to live in a time where Muslims are made I think I think it feels maybe worse in the last couple of years than it's been in my lifetime. Um where you're made to believe that you're the cause of the problem or immigrants are a cause of the problem. Yeah, rhetoric is absolutely very important. Right. And, you know, there's ways that, like, we're going to try to, you know, combat that. And But but at the same time, many people get their information. They're not exposed to Muslims, right? They're not exposed to uh, m- many immigrants on their day-to-day life. So the opinion that they're going to get of them is going to be what they hear on the news from our political leadership, from Twitter, from wherever, yeah. that, that they, wherever they get it. And so we, as as people who have that voice, or uh, you know, we have to be very responsible with our words because people are going to take those at at uh, face value. And you know, on our end, that's why the work that we're doing, I feel, really matters. And the way that we're doing it in an organized way, because our our people have been in the mind that hey, you know what, we're we're doing charity. We don't need to be famous for it. We're doing good works. We're going to, you know, we're going to be who we are and, and you know, kind of uh, give charity with the right hand and the left hand as a no, yeah. right? That sort of thing. But now we want to do it in an organized way, right? Like, let's say, you know, giving scholarships to folks that are not Muslim or, you know, being like we, we've, we uh, through the Khadija Islamic Center, we've, uh, we, there's this group called the Must. And it's Muslim youth and uh, for the homeless. And so what they do is they have these red vests and they go out there and they're young you know, men and women and, and, and they're giving 200 uh, meal, at least 200 meals uh, a month, if not many more. Right. So our goal with that is to to publicize that look like we are part of this community. We want to support. And, you know, you have. Uh, you have these folks that are so bright, like some of these immigrant and refugee kids, and you know they'll be the future, future leaders, future surgeons, future lawyers, and we just have to, you know, uh, we have to su- support and mentor them like anyone else, and consider them an asset, right? And instead of thinking, okay, this is a, a liability. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you've lived most of your life here. You're a successful businessman today. Um, so many in the community are. Are, are so successful because they work hard. Um, and yet you have this new community who was coming here, maybe not by choice. They were forced out of their country by war or famine or natural disaster. And they've come here legally as refugees, and yet they're coming with nothing. And one of the things that I love about what you're doing is um, these are people who um, are in this country, and what you're doing is forging a connection to this country, that this country is their home. And you know, I, I some of these some of these refugee groups have been here for ten, fifteen years, and I get to know some of their kids. Their kids are university students. They're they're going to be successful business leaders. They're that second generation immigrant, you know, that have come here and they're and they're pursuing the American dream. And they have what's great about this country is they have a, a shot at the American dream that they they can they can come and they can succeed. Um, and in your work, why I think it's so important, not only educating people like me to understand how much we have in common, but it's helping these newcomers to this country to feel a part of this country. Absolutely. And um, my story that I think illustrates this is my, my dad was a Sunday school teacher for the mosque when I was growing up. And I used to always tell him, I'm like, Dad, 
you know, you work so much. Why are you wasting your Sunday morning, you know, like teaching these kids? And, you know, I, he'd be like, you know, you, you, you won't understand right now. So I was like, okay. And so maybe eight years ago, um, there was a graduation for Sunday school. And I would, you know, there was a barbecue. I would get dragged there, you know, just to support yeah. my dad. And I showed up like, you know, 30, 45 minutes late. And so the imam uh, saw me, right? And he said, oh, look, there's a vase walking in. He's committed to be the Sunday uh, Sunday school teacher next year. And I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah right, okay. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, nice joke. And so when time came for the Sunday school to begin, uh, Dr. Uh, Salman Masood, who has been the president of uh, ISGSL, and he's also an anesthesiologist and a dear mentor uh, of mine, um, he called me a few uh, weeks before and said, hey, I heard from the imam that you were going to be a Sunday school <laughs> teacher. I'm so happy and so excited. And I'm like, okay. Uh, and, you know, out of some respect for him, you know, I, I was like, yeah, you did hear that. And, and I'll be there, you know. That's how we the Mormons do it, too. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so, like, we're, so we're, it's the first Sunday. And I still have a vivid memory of this. I'm, I'm driving, driving over there. And I'm like, oh, why did I, why did I, you know, uh, why did I commit to this? And I, and I pulled in and he has a Land Cruiser. His Land Cruiser was there. And I'm like, okay, if he, he's a, he's a anesthesiologist. And I think he's one of the chief uh, anesthesiologists at Shriners. And he has five daughters and, 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 uh, you know, full life. So I'm like, okay, look at this. If this guy can do this, right. You should give it a, give yeah. it a shot, right. You're yeah. not too busy or you're not whatever. And so I started teaching there and I got to know these kids, you know, and then they weren't just, you know, immigrant and refugee kids to me anymore. They were, you know, Ismail and Daoud and Zaki and all these guys. Right. And wow, the questions that they asked me at like, you know, 10 years old, you know, like they know they found they knew that I was a business person. They'll start asking me questions about complex things about real estate. And things like that. And I'm like, wow. And I'm like, you know, or even when we were talking about religion and, and stuff like that, you know, ask me these amazing questions. And I'm like, man, if, the, if anybody put a little bit of effort on these kids, uh, if we treated them just like we, you know, uh, treated anybody, it, these guys would, you know, they'd be the future leaders, like you said. And I mean, like, they didn't know, you know, like, for example, how to get into school, how to do FAFSA how to do all that kind of stuff. And the last thing on this point would be, there's a book called Outliers, right? And it, yeah. it, it studies the, the, the different right. outliers in data. And one of the things that it talked about in there is the kids that grew up in these, you know, kind of gang uh, and poor societies, they would look at, you know, who has the nicest car on the block, right? So we'd say, okay, it's a Cadillac. How, what does the guy do? He's a drug dealer. Right? It was as simple as that. Like, okay, now to get the nicest car in the nicest house, we're going to be, you know, drug leaders. Now, if we expose them to leaders, business leaders, to uh, congressmen, to lawyers, to doctors, they're not even going to, they're going to yeah. think, they're going to say, oh, yeah, well, my friend Ben's a congressman. So, you know what? I could, I I could do, do that, that too. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean... I, I really appreciate your outreach to me over the last couple of years. I've grown by getting to know your community better. Um, I would hope that people in the Muslim community know, you know, they're a religious minority in Utah, but I hope they would feel appreciated 
you know, I, I believe in the separation of church and state. And I believe, but I also believe that having people of faith in our community makes us better. Um, and, you know, you and I are of different faiths, but I want, I want you and I want your community and I want the youth in your community to embrace faith because I think it makes our society a stronger place. I think it is a fabric that holds our community together. And I hope that the people in the mosque know that I, I support them, maybe not because that's what a mayor is supposed to do or a congressman is supposed to do, but because I want to see you feel not a religious minority, but to feel part of a community that values you and what you bring to our society. Oh, thank you very much. And, and, and uh, you know, it's simple things like um, in, our, in our spiritual tradition, there's a story where uh, this person goes to the teacher and says, look, like our community is really broken. Um, and I want some tool to figure out how to have, you know, to start making the community get together. What can I learn how to do? And the teacher told them, learn how to make very good tea. Right. Yeah. So maybe in this state it's not caffeinated tea. Right. But, but you know, it's 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 something very simple, right? And I remember, um, you know, you came to some of the Ramadan dinners, and uh, you know, you, you came, and people already just by something simple like that, like wow, he's here, he's part of our community, yeah. and that's something that you know is uh, already starting to to be ferment. Uh, one of the things that I was proud of as mayor is I had another member of the Muslim community, Nasir Khan, yeah. come to me. And Nasir is an avid cricket player. Yeah. And that's yeah. his passion. Yeah, yeah. And he said, at the time, I didn't know him well. I've gotten to know him very well. But he said, you know, Mayor McAdams, there are no cricket fields in where we can play cricket. And I thought, well, I, what can I do about it? How many cricket players are there in Utah, you know? But he actually came with a solution. He said, but did you know there are a lot of soccer fields here that aren't used on Sunday because Mormons don't really play sports on Sunday. So these soccer fields sit empty on a Sunday, but Sunday's not my day of worship. Um, if you were to build as mayor soccer fields and separate them by about 15 feet and put this cement pad in between your soccer fields, that's a cricket field. Wow. And uh, would you consider doing that? So I went to my Parks and Rec staff and said, could we do this? And they said, well, absolutely. And so we started doing that, and we've made cricket pitches throughout Salt Lake County, and there's a vibrant cricket community that uses these fields that would normally sit just empty on a Sunday. They're active, and they're out there. And so I've gone to watch. I don't, I don't even know the rules of cricket. They've tried to teach me several times, but I've gone to watch them play cricket and was really proud of that collaboration, too, that at really no expense to the taxpayer, we were able to help several thousand of my constituents, my taxpayers, have a, an amenity that they could enjoy in a way that helped them to have community and strength and, so, and strengthen that fabric amongst themselves. And that's, you know, it's not just understanding each other as people of faith, but it's also making a community that um, at no cost to anybody is more accommodating to everyone. Absolutely. And the thing is small, simple gestures like that make people feel at home. Yeah. Right. And even when, imagine, right, if the friends and family visit them from out of town and they say, hey, let's go, we're going to go play cricket here or out of the country. They're like, wow, this yeah. is your home. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? You guys, yeah. they've even built like, you know, your the sport for you. So in closing, tell me what, um, is there anything you'd like for listeners to know about uh, Utah Muslim community? So um, there was a Pew Research poll 
and it said uh, about 70% of people that ha- didn't meet or have interaction with a Muslim had an unfavorable opinion of a Muslim. And 70% who had interaction with a Muslim had a positive interaction, right? And the same thing probably goes for Muslims and view and lens about other people. So we could sit here and talk about all these complex theories of how we can, you know, solve these solve these problems. But go out and get to know each other, right? Meet your Muslim neighbors, and if if you're if you're a Muslim, go out and know who your neighbors are, interact with them know who their kids are and be a part of the community. And what our plea and what my commitment is going to be is we're going to make a big effort to be part of the community civically. So registering to vote, uh, if you're already registered, go out there and vote. Start running for positions. Be involved in the political process. And the other thing that we are going to commit to is we're going to commit to charity and service projects that are outside of our community. We don't want to be known as this community that is, you know, just supporting folks back home or uh, folks that are part of our ethnic or religious background. We want to be, and it's not that we want to be known, that's our authentic self, yeah. is we want to to help and support the folks that are our brothers and sisters and our community members. So thanks so much for the time. And I uh, really appreciate all that you've done to be engaged with us. And I've had the exact same feeling ever since we, you know, met that uh, felt like a kindred soul. And I think we're going to, you know, we have a lot of the same vision and hopefully we can benefit the community together. Thank you, Avey Summit. I want to thank you for listening to Washington. What I'd really love to hear is from you. To follow this journey, subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, the KSL Radio app, and anywhere you find interesting podcasts. To be part of this experiment in making the world's most powerful city responsive to citizens, please email me at tips at loudmouthproject.com. I'm Tom Luma, and this has been Washington. We'd like to thank the village that made this episode possible. Andrea Smartin, Amy Donaldson, Allison Heron, Danny Akana, And of course, Congressman Ben McAdams.